Attention, attention. Inbound Imperial Cutter, Origin, Prism System. Cleared for approach on docking port 1. And ceremonial team required for VIP at docking port 1. Station Commander Stroud requested. Commander Stroud unavailable. Chief of Operations John Stabler requested. Chief Stabler unavailable. Head of Station Entertainment Chris Jarvis requested. Commander Jarvis unavailable. Senior Medical Officer K. Russell requested. Dr. Russell unavailable. Visiting news reporter Randy Berger requested. Randy Berger unavailable. Head of Station Catering Makers Pie requested. Makers Pie unavailable. Head of Station Education Ivana Learn requested. Miss Learn unavailable. Head of Station Tourism Will show you. Requested. Will show you. Unavailable. Head of Station Zoology. Mike. Wookie. Requested. Commander Wookie. Unavailable. 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 Second Technician. Chris. Forrester. Requested. Technician Forrester. Available. Please report to the reception lounge. Senator Drew Weger is waiting. Okay, so a man we haven't spoken to since ooh, the dizzying, oh, the dizzying times of what was it, the first of March, the last time we had an interview. Uh, a man that's become so famous he needs no introduction, which is good because I haven't written one this time. Um, welcome to Lave Radio, Senator Drew Weger, and welcome to you, Commander Fozzer. I hope the Empire <laughs> finds you well. Uh, as well as to be expected, you know, they keep me pretty busy around here in fairness, but uh, yeah, I'm not doing too badly, mate, thanks for asking. Good, 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 good to hear it. I suppose the first thing we should do is say congratulations on the completion of uh, Elite Reclamation. You are finished, aren't you? I, well, apart from very small things, yes, I am finished. The story is done, um, all the editing is done, thank God, because I hate that bit. Um, obviously all the writing is done. Um, the, obviously, the only bit that's really left um, are there's a couple of interesting things, which is obviously Chris Jarvis is uh, is audiofying it as we speak um, and doing some amazing things there. And I think there'll be a few tweaks that he'll want to run past me just in terms of you know tidying that audio book up, uh, which I'm going to mostly leave in his very capable hands. And then the other thing is that Frontier has promised to potentially embed aspects of the book in the game. So I'm waiting with bated breath to see what that means. Well, that's all exceptionally exciting stuff, and we'll get onto quite a lot of that as we as we go through. But uh, I mean, let's start off. I mean, it was March the last time we had you on the show, and yeah, you know, we had this great idea that uh, we would have the writers on a few times to let us know the progress of their book as they went through. Well, yeah, that's eleven months has been and gone. So, how has the book uh, taken shape over those months? I mean, did you have a you know, a strict word count that you you stuck to uh, a number of words per day, or you know, did you just write when you were inspired? You know, take us through your process a bit. I'd spent a lot of time actually planning it out in quite a lot of detail. If you remember back in back in that interview back in March, I said, you know, I've got this plan, this amazing kind of um, breakdown of the year, because I was really worried. Um, having written books before, I know 
how long it takes to write one. And then obviously I, I knew all the other stuff that had to happen afterwards, all the editing and all the approval and all the typesetting and all the slightly less interesting stuff. I thought, I'm going to need a plan to do this because I want to aim for March because if Frontier is going for March, then I want to be ready in March. So I, I, I worked out, I kind of worked backwards from March. How much time do I need for this? How much time do I need for that? How much, therefore, when do I need the book to be finished as a story? And then kind of worked back from that um, and plotted it all out. And that gave me a very strict word count per day, per week that I could track on, a, on, my, on my blog. And every time I did a blog update, I basically said, look, here's my target. This is where I am. And sometimes I was behind schedule. Sometimes I was a little bit ahead of schedule, but it was following this kind of path or lines. It was about, I think, 4,000 words per week was what I was aiming for. Right. You know, I, I'm able to write on the trains. I've got a very distinct writing time when I'm on the train going to work. Right when I'm on the train coming back from work, I write, and that's 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 my writing time. That's what I've got. Well, I suppose. I mean, it must be sort of a, a form of escapism because I'm not entirely sure how exciting your uh, your daily commute is. But if you can just sort of leave your daily commute behind and whiz off into the elite dangerous universe, it must have been quite uh, quite refreshing. It's it is actually. I mean, I write because I enjoy writing. I mean, I'd love to do it as a full time job, but so far it hasn't paid any of the bills so you never know but <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah no I, I love writing i've always i've always written for fun you know partly for my own enjoyment partly you know as the years have gone past for other people to enjoy the stories i write as well that's you know that is a great thing but i'm quite lucky with my train commute because uh, when i get on at the station near my house it's pretty much the beginning of the line so the train is virtually empty i get I get my seat on the train, um, which is where I write. So, you know, the, the, it's carriage number one on the 722 to London Cannon Street. Is That is my train. <laughs> and that is my seat. And I sit there every day in the same place, facing the same direction. So it's a bit OCD. But... I was going to say, so if there's any fans out there, if you want to find Drew to sign your copy of Elite Reclamation, if you catch the 720 from... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's that's the nature of going to work, unfortunately. But it does give me, you know, I get on there and I've got my flask of tea. Um, I've got my headphones. I, you know, stick my MP3 player on to play something kind of vaguely spacey, you know, John Michel or anything like that works really well, Vangelis. Um, and then that just helps me disappear off into this, you know, this other universe where I'm writing. And um, an hour and a bit later, um, you know, I'm like, oh, no, no, I haven't finished my thing, but I've got to stop and go to work. So. Yeah, then I do a day's work and then I get back on the train. And you know, usually I'm fairly lucky that I get to the train station just before the kind of massive crowds arrive and I get a decent seat on the train on the way home and then I've got the same thing again. So, you know, ten yeah, you know, eight to ten hours a week, quality writing time, I'm completely zoned out, no distractions. Um, which also has the benefit it's not yeah, you know, it's not interfering with family time either. So you know, I get virtually a full working day a week that otherwise would be wasted on, you know, playing Angry Birds or something, um, <laughs> or just having a snooze. And, um, you know, I can really get a lot of work done. That's basically how I did it. I suppose there's also, if you think about it, there's quite an interesting symmetry there because when the book is finally released, there'll be a lot of you know, elite fans out there who will actually be taking your work with them on the daily commute and just like you, escaping into the Elite Dangerous Universe, into the you know the story that you have created. So you know, quite a nice symmetry there. I think, I think that's really good. I mean, I've had emails in the past. I mean, one chap sent me an email about one of my previous Elite books and just said, look, you know, just thanks for a great story because I was going for a really crappy time at work. And you know, the thing that kept me going was knowing that I had a decent story to read at the end of the day. I thought it was a really nice thing to see. I was going to um, say, how great is that? Yeah, that's really nice, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it was a, just a, yeah, somebody out there just 
appreciated having a bit of escapism, which at the end of the day is, I suppose, what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all do. So, I mean, it sounds all very nice. It all sounds very rosy. But, I mean, were there any challenges you faced during the writing? I mean, did you write yourself into any corners? Did you get any writer's block at any point? I got stuck once in a big way. Um, actually, the overall process, I was quite pleasantly relieved at because, I've, you know, in past I have got stuck um, a number of times. But on, on Elite Reclamation, I got stuck once. And I think it was about, it was fairly early on, actually. It was about 15, 20,000 words in. I think I was in chapter three or four at the time. I suddenly realized I'd cocked up what I was writing. Um, <laughs> is that the technical term? That is the technical used? term. Yes, yes, completely. Yeah. I mean, I, what, I'm just trying to remember exactly what I'd done. I think what I'd done is I'd revealed something in chapter two that I suddenly realized in chapter four that I had to go back and... Un, yeah, kind of rehide it, if that makes sense. <laughs> Unreveal yourself. Unreveal that it. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Especially not on the train at seven thirty in the morning. Um, so yeah, I had to go back and I had to kind of expunge this reference. And the problem was, when I expunged the reference, then a whole bunch of stuff in chapter three just completely fell apart. And I was like, ah, no. And I basically had to trash a week's worth of work. Wow. Uh, which, when I was writing on the target of four thousand words a week, was suddenly I'm now eight thousand words behind where it should be. Um, because I've lost 4,000 words this week and I've lost a week. Um, so it was a bit of a disaster. And I kind of, uh, yeah, I got to the end of that week and I, I thought, I'm, I can't write anymore. I'm a bit sort of down about this at the moment. I'm struggling to get the motivation back. And so I just put on a blog post, you know, had a cock up. This has already gone wrong. Could really do some support. <laughs> and then it was amazing because loads and loads of people piled onto my blog and just said, you know, we trust you, you're doing really well, keep going, blah, 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 blah. And there's the amazing sort of, again, you know, it's the elite community, and, you know, we've said it hundreds and hundreds of times, but they came to my rescue. They just piled in and said, look, really, really trust that you know what we're doing. Your plan looks great. You know, you're going to have setbacks. Just get back on it. Dan, um, you know, from Fantastic Book Publishing came in and just said, this is just completely normal, Drew. Just get back on the case. Monday morning, bosh, I want that story. You know, and it was lots of kind of geeing <laughs> up. And, you know, I got back on the case and, yeah, actually, after that, I didn't have too much of a problem. So um, there's been a few tweaks um, throughout the story and things that I've changed that have kind of gone through and, you know, new ideas have come up. But those have been good things. There was only that one kind of major issue that I had around that early stage. So actually, no, pretty smooth, really. Great stuff. It sounds there more like you, the only person that sort of puts pressure on you during this whole process has been yourself. Is that fair to say? It was, yeah. I didn't want to be absolutely scrabbling around at the end. It's your classic project management thing. If you put all the effort in at the front, then hopefully it's a little bit of more of a relaxed ride towards the end. And actually, um, I hit finishing the draft about three days after I'd planned it. So I was quite pleased with that. So A, it meant my estimates were right. And B, it meant the amount of work that I thought I could do in the time was about right as well, which gave me time in September to go through all the editing I got back from Fantastic Books and there was a lot of that I sent it out to a few early readers and they said this is great but this is weak that's weak the last part of the story actually had to be substantially rewritten because they basically said look it's a bit naff the ending <laughs> the, last, the last thing I wanted was um, you know kind of going, yeah Fantastic Books oh, and it's a bit naff at the end yeah that's that's not right so I had a kind of look at that and thought you know actually what I've done is I've not wound up you know, wound up the end of the story properly but due to the nature of you know people being on spaceships what i hadn't quite appreciated is that the two biggest kind of fiercest characters never actually met in person and had oh, that really? kind of 
face off and I suddenly realize oh hang on a minute they're absolutely right I've got to I've got to engineer them to actually meet have a face off and finish the you know finish the story it's stepping back from a bit a bit because um, you know what after you've been writing the book for such a long time you're you're so deep into it that you can't really see mm-hmm. the, the trees I, mean, I shouldn't be using cliches but there you, go, you know what that <laughs> you know what that means <laughs> and um and I just you know I'd missed that you know fundamental point and I thought yeah you're absolutely right I've got to have, and then I suddenly looked and thought, well, that's the last chapter needs to be rewritten completely then. And I actually added an extra chapter because the story kind of demanded it. So, you know, that feedback was invaluable. And, it's, you know, it's it's a much better story because of that. Just about those changes. I mean, did anything surprise you as you were creating Elite Reclamation? I mean, did you know, the story or the characters change during the process? Well, I mean, obviously they did if you had to rewrite the entire ending. Is there any other examples of that? Yeah, there were there were a lot of things that I wanted to put into Elite Reclamation that were kind of elite things. So, I mean, it won't surprise you to know there's a Cobra Mark III in the story, for example. Um, yeah. And but I, you know, I was very conscious because one of the things that I kind of goofed on really early on with my Kickstarter was I simply assumed at the beginning that Elite Dangerous was going to be a reboot of the original Elite. I'd completely <laughs> forgotten about Frontier and First Encounters because I'd missed them when I was growing up. And it, they didn't even cross my mind until people started talking about them on the comments page of the Kickstarter. I thought, oh, yeah, there, there were those other games, weren't they? What were they about? And so hasty research of what those games were. Um, and then I, of course, I had to look at those and think, what are the essential aspects of them that I need to kind of bake into the story as well? Because I wanted to you know not overtly kind of oh yeah there's the there's the frontier first encounters northern there's the yeah, yeah but i wanted people to go oh yeah okay drew's played that game he gets what that game was about and i'm kind of brought into the whole story you know i'm kind of with him that that's kind of what i wanted to kind of get from it so i kind of okay well how am i going to paint that into the story without making it too obvious but make it kind of natural and some of those things were quite hard to figure out how to do in a in a kind of natural way. So, you know, it, there, were, there were bits and pieces like that that took a while for me to bid, and I went back and then I redrafted it, um, and then redrafted it again, and after a while it kind of began to settle down. But there was a lot of tweaking of that sort of stuff to make sure I got the balance right between the original Elite, which had a certain flavour, and then the frontier first encounters and fe2 stuff that had a you know quite quite a different flavor and then of course you're trying to look forward as well because for the vast majority of the time i didn't have an elite dangerous game to look at so i didn't mm-hmm. know what the feel of the finished game was going to be like then the battle footage video came out and it was like oh that's what it looks like okay well that's part of that's kind of how i thought it was going to be about 75 percent of that battle video i thought yes i've nailed it and then bits of it i thought no, that's not how I really work. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get onto the um, we'll get onto that in in just a second because I do want to sort of go into a bit more depth as to yeah how you've had to change the book in relation to it. I mean, you talk about the games. What about the relationship between yourself and the studio? I mean, how has that developed over the months? I mean, you know, have Frontier released any information or shown you any details that made you rethink anything that happens in the book? Yes, they definitely did. I mean, right from day one, when I was, I put my synopsis together, and you know, I think I said it back in my original interview. My type of story is very character-driven, so it's all about the people and what they say and what they do and how they react, rather than the the scenery so much. Um, so when I wrote my story, I put the synopsis together, and it, it, you know, it's it's it is a political story. It's all machinations and people plotting and trying to get one over on each other and all that kind of good stuff. And so I thought, well, that's that's a story that could be told anywhere without 
huge amounts of work. You could transfer elite reclamation into um, you know, the 1500s or revolutionary France or anywhere, really, or, or the ancient Roman Empire, because the story is about people and, you know, basically plotting against each other and trying to get one over in each other. So I didn't think early on that I'd have any trouble getting my synopsis through frontier approval. And, you know, I was kind of relying on the fact that the story didn't didn't have too much, you know, overt technology and, you know, spaceships in it. Obviously, it does have spaceships in it because it's, it's a spaceship. <laughs> but it wasn't centered around that sort of thing. The spaceships are mechanisms to get you from one place to another rather than the kind of the, the key thing about the story. And... You know, I'd also kind of thought, well, hang on a minute. I've written four fan fiction books in the elite universe. I know this stuff like the back of my hand. They're not, you know, they're yeah. not going to be able to teach me anything. There's me being really arrogant. Uh, <laughs> um, and you know, the frontier thing caught me on the hop a little bit, and I suddenly realised, oh, hang on a minute. Elite Dangerous is a sequel to those two. So elite's much, much further back in the past, and that was confirmed by the timeline they gave us. I mean, it's 175 years since. The original elite game in the timeline of elite dangerous so that's a big chunk of time where things have obviously changed a bit and then my synopsis came back with like nope 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 you can't do that you can't, do this, you can't, do that, you can't go there and i was like oh bugger out <laughs> um, i really got quite a lot of work to do it took me it took me six weeks to get my synopsis through frontier wow and that was making me because and, and david was coming back with some amazing stuff he's like well you know you could have a star like that but actually you know uh, an M2V class red dwarf with that kind of planet <laughs> system isn't going to work because of this reason. Damn, I'm going to really have to go and research my astronomy again. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm the chairman of the Astronomical Society, and I'm kind of thinking, whoa, this is a serious detail I'm having to match up with here. Uh, <laughs> then everything began to settle down a bit. And I think David got so busy and sucked into the the game and the project and stuff that he his involvement in the fiction I think is he just doesn't have the time I think yeah possibly been watching and looking but I don't think he's been he hasn't been interacting with it that much directly that I've seen certainly I've had no specific interactions with him since the kind of synopsis piece really but Michael has chucked vast amounts of you know, quality information into the writers' forum. You know, we, we've had early information on the timeline, the events that happen. We've had information about the Thargoids, which I didn't need, but it was very interesting to read. You know, we've had structure of the military. We've had structure of the um, Empire, the Federation, and the Alliance. And then we've had all the ship information, not all of which <laughs> finished. You know, we, we've seen the ship design. We've got specs on some of the ships, what they can do, and all that kind of good stuff, which is very, very useful. And I have to say, you're not making any friends with some of the <laughs> listeners there. You're making some listeners exceptionally jealous. In fact, you're making one of the show hosts exceptionally uh, jealous as yeah, well. So, yeah, but the funny thing is, I, mean, yeah, I know that sounds horrible because I've got it and you haven't. That's 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 that sounds a bit miserable. But it, it oddly enough, having that information does detract a little bit from the magic. It's a bit like seeing the um, the, you know, the Wizard of Oz behind the behind the stage. Behind um, the curtain, yeah. Pulling all the levers, and you think, well, actually, it's not quite so impressive behind the stage as it is actually on the stage. Um, and I think it's a little bit like that. We've seen some information which is essential for writing the books, but we now know stuff that would have been more fun to discover in the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, in some ways, we've got an advantage. In some ways, I think we've got a little bit of a disadvantage because um, we're going to know a few things that, like, yeah, that would have been quite fun to have discovered, wouldn't it? And we already know it's going to happen. Not much, to be honest. We don't know that much. <laughs> really. um, I was going to say, I mean, four marks for trying to make a recovery there, Mr. <laughs> Wagar, but I still don't think the backers are on your side again. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm playing most of their stuff 
very close to their chest. They're, they're pretty secretive, really. They're only letting out uh, what we need to know, the minimum we need to know to do the job that we're, we're doing. You know, we don't know vast quantities of the stuff. So, you know, there'll be plenty of stuff that, you know, we're just in exactly the same position as everybody else is playing the game. Well, okay, then just to touch on a couple of things there then. The first one is that, you know, you did quite a, a public campaign and a quest for a star chart from uh, Frontier <laughs> Developments. How how did that campaign end? I still haven't got a star map. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those, it was one of those, um, I knew I was in trouble when Michael said soon. Uh, oh. And then that was that was the death knell, basically, because the moment somebody said soon, then it's, you know, that, you know the Frontier soon is now is now infamous isn't it um, that's impossible um but no i mean michael said early on that they were plotting realistic star systems now you know i'm putting my astronomer hat on i was thinking well that's quite a lot how how far out are you going and they said well we want to do all the known visible stars within a hundred light year radius of the earth and i quickly you know, went to wikipedia and worked out how many stars that was and it's it's in the hundreds of thousands and I said, are you sure? <laughs> I said, yep, that's what we're going to do. And I, okay, well, I guess you've got, you know, I don't know what amazing tools and things that they've got in there to kind of map all this stuff out. I, I was kind of hoping this isn't some massive Excel spreadsheet or something. <laughs> um, so I don't know quite how they've done it, but we haven't seen anything that actually shows us how that's going to work. And, um, you know, I, I knew how difficult that was because I've been following the progress of, uh, you know, another tool, the Space Engine tool, which is, still in alpha as well and they've tried to realistically simulate that and they're not trying to make a you know a, a, a massive trading game they're just trying to do a realistic star simulation and that's taken them a long time to do that and they've done a pretty decent job of it but it, you know, it's not a it's not a small challenge and what and i was just thinking hang on this i don't know who else michael's got working on this if anybody if, you know, if it's just him and he's trying to do that that is a massive massive job and then I did that silly little ditty talking about, you know, <laughs> works, just kind of trying to keep, move things along because it got to September. That was the first deadline when we were told we might have a star map and it kind of came and went. So I thought I'll just tease him along. And then, um, then I got an email saying, um, yeah, thanks very much for that, Drew. That kind of made my day. By the way, I am working weekends to get this to you. And I thought, oh, no, that got guilt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it was then it was the end of the year and then that kind of came and went then it was january and then we're talking actually now it's beginning to get a little bit urgent because um you know I, we were dan was pushing me to get it finished and i said dan I, I can't finish it without these names um i need to know i've got the prism system that's my system but uh, frontier would only allow me to name one system they wouldn't allow me to name the other ones and so I said, then that's absolutely fine as long as you guys name them. <laughs> <laughs> somebody <laughs> needs to name them. <laughs> because otherwise just don't know. And then literally within just a few hours to spare, almost, um, I got an email from Michael Brooks saying, we've got the system names here. They are. These are the ones that referenced in your story. And so I've, you know, I was hastily banging them into my laptop, making sure that I got rid of all the insert Imperial World number one kind of <laughs> to make sure I did that properly so I could get it over to Dan who could proofread it and get it over to Chris so that it was ready for Toby Longworth to record. And it was literally down to the hours um, um, that Toby Longworth was kind of incoming and we didn't have a finished script <laughs> until the, kind of the day before. Crazy. That was a bit mad. So the, yeah, the star map has been, has probably been my bone of contention. Uh, not really because of, I think it's anybody's fault. I just think it was. It sounds like it was a bit underestimated how much work it was. As part of your your writer's pledge, you get to name a system, and 
recently Frontier have come back and said that they're actually going to have a look at the, the stories and where possible put assets from those stories into the, the game universe so that people can go and, and visit sites and visit things from the books in the game universe itself. Have you had any word from Frontier or from Michael about what things from Elite Reclamation we might be able to go and see? Well, I'm pretty sure that the... Um, I, th I think the Pledge Award allowed you to name a system, its configuration and certain assets in it. So I've, I kind of went with that and thought, well, okay, well, if I, if I can determine what a system looks like, I'm going to design an entire solar system. So I did. And luckily, I mean, fortunately, because I'm an astronomer, I kind of played around with various parameters in some of the simulation tools I used until I got what I wanted. And so I've got a quite an interesting star system with four suns in it, with planets orbiting one of the suns. You've got a gas giant there. You've got a, uh, a super Earth water world with a habitable moon, a little bit like the kind of Endor moon, I suppose, in, um, in Star Wars. And then you've got some you know, dwarf planets. So basically, I created an entire solar system. And then, you know, in orbit around the, the primary moon, Keone is a is a massive imperial uh, mining platform called Hiram's Anchorage, named after my dad, who sadly passed away last year. You know, that that is a massive massive uh, imperial facility that's sitting in orbit, you know, to mine the planet. And uh, this is all part of the story. And what uh, I'd done is I'd written all this description out, and then I'd sent it across to Michael along with the final copy for approval of um, the actual story. And he sent me an email back saying, you know, all this simulation stuff you've done, can I have that as well, please? <laughs> um, so I said, yeah. So I sent him through that. And he said, oh, have you got all the masses and the orbital characteristics and all that kind of <laughs> stuff? So I sent him through this massive, you know, massive spreadsheet of, um, you know, well, is it, here's the diameter of the planet. Here's how it is from the star and stuff like that. And he sent me an email back saying, that's great. We're going to stick it in something called the Stellar Forge, which I thought sounded incredibly exciting. Ooh, yeah. uh, so Frontier have something called the Stellar Forge, which... I'm imagining is the tool that they're using to generate um, generate the universe, uh, but exactly what it is, does and exactly what the output of it is, of course, I don't know. But Michael's last kind of email to me was, "We will try and get the Prism system in game as close to how you've realised it here as we can." Which I thought that just yeah. sounds phenomenal, doesn't it? Oh, it oh, just yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> So um, I'm hoping the artwork and various bits and pieces that I've kind of posted, that I've generated, are, are pretty close to what you end up seeing. So I'm, I'm absolutely sure that you'll be able to visit the space station in-game. And for some of the slightly more uh, obtuse locations in the game, they're not. I've deliberately not named them in the script because uh, yeah, the names are a bit... They're obviously procedurally generated names, so they're not all that interesting anyway. But they will be there in the game, but you're going to have to go and find them. So I'm kind of hoping Frontier will put aspects of those in, but they're not going to be obvious where they are. You're going to have to work them out based on the story. Um, so there'll be a little Brilliant. bit of hunting around and is the super pirate base or whatever it is actually en route here. It, it, it should be somewhere in there, but it's not going to be that easy to find. Let's sort of uh, bring it up to date then. I mean, with your writer's pack, you obviously got access to the alpha, the early stage sort of playthrough. Uh, we're now up to Alpha 2.2. Uh, I suppose the question is, you know, have you played the Alpha? What's your thoughts? And do you think from playing it, you've managed to portray the game experience, I mean, such as it currently is, faithfully in Elite Reclamation? I've definitely played the Alpha. Um, I haven't played it as much as I would like to because I just don't really have the time. I got the Alpha 1.0 and then obviously shortly afterwards the 1.1 and we started playing through those missions. 
very disheartening that I did manage to eventually get to the end of incursion, but my 13-year-old son completely blitzed his way through it and got through about three times as fast as I did. No. Uh, that was a bit disheartening. And I'm thinking, Ooh, maybe my Elite rating is a bit rusty. But uh, so that, that was in the single-player stuff. Fortunately, I'd bought myself a new PC at the end of last year so we could actually play it because I, I did try and run it on my laptop. And it, just, it, it just wasn't up to scratch. and couldn't cope with it. So I was glad I had something to play it on. So that was absolutely brilliant. That was very interesting. I didn't have to change too much for the... Um, for the story, the, the things that were specific to me that I noticed was the range on the lasers, which is, I think, about three kilometers. That I had to tweak because I'd had them shooting them down at much longer distances. Yeah. Um, so I had to tweak that back. Little things like um, the sound of the engines. I really, really, really like the sound of the Sidewinder engines in the game. So I actually spent some time just listening to it and thinking, how am I going to describe that? Because I wanted to have that in the game because I really, really liked it. Um, so that is, that is in the story. And the other thing that was a big surprise was little things like the cockpit cooling down and then suddenly there's a crackle of condensation and ice. Mm. Well, that's a nice effect. I want that in there. So, I had that, that <laughs> in. so I've got one of my characters in the book puts his ship into stealth mode so he can hide. And, you know, I do that thing with the, the ice appearing, all that kind of stuff. And the other big thing was, the, the, which was fantastic, yeah, the cockpit smashing and the air rushing mm -hmm. out. Suddenly it's vacuum. I thought, you know, somebody's been paying attention to that. That's really, really good. And the gimbal weapons were something I hadn't even thought about. So I've made reference to them in passing. I also get, I got to make reference to the flight assist on and off modes. So I've got one of the pilots who's a bit kind of cocksure of himself saying, yeah, yeah, only the rookies fly with flight assist on. I mean, that's just, <laughs> yeah, you don't get any proper elite competitors using that kind of computer control. You know, he's very disparaging that. So little things like that tie the book that much more closely to the game that sounds brilliant well thinking about it then you were the first author to sign up to the uh, fantastic books publishing and in fact you'd already worked with them before on your you know previous published works can you tell us a little bit about uh, how that partnership has worked out yeah that that has been absolutely amazing i mean dan grubb and his team of, of, of people up there that he kind of pulls in that will to do various different things i mean he, he's been an absolute powerhouse i mean i don't know where the guy gets the energy from to be frank um, I thought I was a workaholic, but he he, <laughs> he blows me out of the water completely. <laughs> he's been at the end of email, he's been at the end of text, he's been at the end of Facebook, he's been at the end of Skype all the way throughout, basically saying, keep going, do this, do that, you know, keep your head up, this is looking great, you know, tweak this, tweak that. Always incredibly positive. Um, you couldn't have a better, you know, basically I couldn't have a better wingman to use the sort of space space analogy <laughs> uh, because he just he just you know, just covers your back all the time, keeps you going where you need a bit of encouragement or there's you know a couple of uh, well this bit here is not that great, Drew. Can you tidy it up because you know this is a bit weak because you look at it and you think he's absolutely right. I'll go and sort that out. He has a vision for these books that was so much bigger than than what I had. And I thought you know right at the beginning just getting a you know, getting the writer's license, writing a book and getting it published. So I thought, you know, that's, that's a big ask. You know, are we going to be able to do that in a year? And you know, here we are a year and a bit down the line. And, you know, we've got a book, audio book. We're going to be paperbacks. We're going to be hardbacks. We're going to be signed special boxed editions and an audio book written by an actor who's been on Star Wars and Doctor Who. I mean, it's like, wow. And that is all, <laughs> you know, completely honest. That's 
huge amounts of that are down to Dan. That fantastic books. He really had a vision for these things. He just won't settle for second best, which I think is absolutely admirable. They're, they're absolutely brilliant. Uh, hats off to the man. He's, he's a powerhouse. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Literally fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I have to agree with that. The amount of enthusiasm the man has created around the project is, yeah, it's infectious and you know, can't that's that's at the moment. Imagine what it's going to be like when we actually get to the point of you guys actually pushing these out. It's going to be, it's going to be phenomenal to watch. But I mean, what comes next then? You know, you you started this journey with your Kickstarter backers. Um, you know, what can they expect now that you've joined up with Fantastic Books and you know your book is finished? You know, have there been any sort of reward pledges that have already you know, received the book or seen it or read it? I think that's going to vary a little bit by writers and depending obviously what pledges they put out. Now I. I on mine basically said you're not going to get any, or at least not much in the way of spoilers, you're not going to get much in the way of output until it is ready. And we've kind of always said along the way that, you know, Frontier is going to market with their game and they, they promised as part of the writer's pack to do sort of side-by-side -side promotions of the book. So we are a little bit at the mercy of when Frontier does that because obviously we want to take advantage of that marketing and combine it with all the stuff that we're doing. So when is that going to occur is, is a little bit of a difficult question to answer at the moment because we kind of know Frontiers slipped from March. I don't think anybody expecting Elite Dangerous to be ready in March now, given where we are with the Alpha. And we've had this talk about Beta and Gamma. And I'm kind of guessing that kind of Gamma is when most of the main pledges for Elite Dangerous get you know, a copy of the game that actually works. That would be my kind of guess. And so yeah. I think we're probably expecting at the moment to align most of the books with that. And I know Dan wants to come out kind of punching with a big flurry of all the books that he's got kind of under his wing. I'm imagining that we'll kind of, kind of tie up with that in, in some fashion. I mean, certainly all the pledgers who pledged on my initial Kickstarter and all the pledgers who pledged on the Fantastic Books kind of super audiofication Kickstarter will get their copies ahead of kind of what I would call retail release, you know, those will absolutely all be on it in advance. Precisely when that's going to be, I mean, we've got to wait for Chris to do his magic on not only my book, but all the others as well. There's the dramatization of Labour Revolution as well, and, you know, getting Kate's stuff ready as well. So there's, there's a lot of stuff still to do, most of which I don't have to do much to do. So I'm kind of just watching him <laughs> quite relaxed about it now because I, I don't have to do much. But um, there, is a, there is a bunch of stuff to do there. But I, I kind of imagine that's going to be doable by the time the gamma comes out. And if I was, if I was guessing, I would say sort of late spring, early summer, maybe mid-summer, depending on when the, you know, when the gamma comes out, is about, about when we'll probably see something you know, big occur, which, you know, interestingly enough, ties up with the... Um, fantastic con event and the kind of LaveCon 2014 timing so that's I think it's going to solidify around there somewhere but I, I would I would be guessing summertime at the earliest I think yeah absolutely I was going to ask you whether or not you were expecting to uh, to book in some holiday and go on the wonderful UK promotional book tour which <laughs> was going to take in LaveCon and, and Fantasticon I've, I've booked LaveCon and Fantasticon I definitely will be at both of those so um, that will be great um, kind of really looking forward to seeing everybody again because I mean one one of the amazing things about this community is that you you, you make new friends and you, you want to talk to people about this thing that we all have in common that we all love and you know what could be more fun than that plus we're going to actually have some content now you know people will be along their oculus riffs and I, I'm quite interested to try one of those because I haven't played with one of those yet um, you know people are going to be talking about the old games people are going to be bringing along 
Spectrums and C64s and PCs with Elite, and you know we're going to mix it up and just have a fantastic Elite Fest, you know, you know for for a couple of days of absolute complete geekery. I mean, what could be better? You know, and we'll have all these books, and you know, Dave Hughes will have his role-playing game. You know, and we'll have you know all sorts of stuff going on, and you know, and I'm sure the you know the the characters on the forum like uh, like Grant will um, just do something bizarre to keep us all entertained. You know, there's all that sort of fun to look forward to. Front will doubtless um, you know, jump in and do some other bits as well because they've been very active, really, to the limits of what they can do as a professional company with the community. So, you know, it, it, it's a very close-knit thing. I think that's going to be enormous, enormous fun. Yeah, certainly. It's definitely one of the, the main things that we as fans are really looking forward to. And speaking about the fans, we've already had some people asking questions about potential sequels. Yeah, what are your current thoughts? I'm very much in two minds about this one. Part of me would love to do another sequel. So yeah, I mean, I've left myself a hook in the book. But, yeah, in Elite Reclamation, there is a hook for a sequel. So if the opportunity presents itself, then there is a narrative thing that I can follow, which actually is also a hook that players hopefully will be able to follow as well, because it's one of those. I was quite keen to put a sort of Raxler-esque thing into my book, and it's subtle. Um, but it is there so that there is something that folks might be able to hook up on and go, there's a clue there. I wonder if I follow that. I wonder where it goes. And that's entirely up to Frontier whether they decide to put that into the game in any meaningful way or not. But it's also a hook for me to go, okay, well, I can get some characters in my stories to go off and do that thing as well. So it, it is there if I need it and if the opportunity presents. Now, I don't know, you know, we have no idea at this point whether these books are going to be a major commercial success or not. They might be, they might not be. Um, part of me is thinking that um, everybody who wants a copy of these books is probably already pledged and effectively. <laughs> oh, so, Drew, please so, have some I... faith. <laughs> just, um, just to sort of start pulling this together slightly, I mean, if you could do it all over again, uh, is there anything that you would do or approach differently? Um, that's a very good question, actually. Um, would I do anything differently? Um, I'm, I'm not sure there's a great deal I could do differently. I mean, I, I'd, I'd probably come up with a slightly different story. I mean, I think there's, you know, you always look back as a kind of perfectionist and think I could have done that bit better and that bit's a bit weak. Um, but now I don't have the time to change it and all those kind of things. Would I have done anything different about the process? Um, I don't, I don't think I really could have done because I was learning all the way through. You know, when I when I first came across Elite Dangerous, I had no idea what a Kickstarter was. So uh, in the first two days of watching it, that, that kind of awakened me to oh, there's this whole new weird way of kind of funding things that I'd never come across before. Kickstarter was a completely new thing to me. Then there was the whirlwind of the writer's pack appearing and then, you know, um, my uh, my friend on the Elite forum who said, "Why don't you go and start a Kickstarter to fund the Kickstarter?" And you know, that that whole sort of little saga there occurring, and then the um, you know the Kickstarter, you know all all the press release stuff, all the time through that process, I was just you know I was doing some planning, trying to think ahead, but most of it was really just reacting to what was happening, and it was happening at such breakneck pace that really. Um, yeah, it, there wasn't much time for thinking. Uh, it was just a case of, well, that's happening now. I need to react to that and do that. You know, it, it was it was typing out text messages on your mobile. It was answering Facebook <laughs> queries. You know, it it was absolutely intense. And even even as it started to settle down in writing the book, I had this 
you know, I've got to do 4,000 words a week, otherwise I'm not going to make it. Um, and, you know, I, I just had to do that. And then there, there was the other bits and pieces about, um, you know, um, getting the editing done and then submitting that off. And there, were, there was deadline after deadline after deadline after deadline. Then Dan's Kickstarter came along for the audiobook stuff. I thought, well, yeah, it's a great idea. And I want to provide some content for that. So that was, you know, Sunday afternoon, mucking him out in front of the camera with the kids trying to think it's just <laughs> it, it just didn't stop. And it, and it hasn't really stopped up until kind of I'm suddenly now, I've suddenly gone, oh, actually, I don't have to do an Elite Dangerous thing this week. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the interview that I keep but, on pestering well, you to do. Yeah, well, there you go. And, you, and, uh, and I, you know, I don't mind that at all. It's absolutely fantastic to talk to folks. But, you know, basically from uh, until just really the last couple of weeks, ever since November 2012, it's just been a full-on um, blast. And that there hasn't been really any time for doing anything different. I don't, I don't think I could have done much different because... Um, I'm me, and that's how I've reacted to the, the scenario. There's certainly not there's not been a sort of stepping back, going, well, yeah, I could have planned that better, because yeah, realistically, there just wasn't time. Um, it, it's just been an absolute, you know, headlong rush to get these kind of things done. And I suppose you know that's you know when opportunity knocks, that's that's sort of what happens. You just have to go with it, and I, yeah, that's that's pretty much it, I guess. Well, that's fantastic, mate. Well, good luck with the rest of the journey. It's not over yet, sir. Um, we look forward to catching up with you at LaveCon. But just for the time being, thank you very much for being on Lave Radio. My pleasure. And um, you know, again, thank you to all your listeners um, and all the pledges out there who did support all the various Kickstarters, not not just mine, but on behalf of all of the authors. And I think you know, the Elite Dangerous Thermos has said, I mean, the community is what makes this thing worthwhile. You know, what what is making me excited is the thought of all those pledges and, and all the other people reading the story and going, hopefully, yes, Drew's nailed <laughs> Elite Dangerous in a novel. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to people. I, I'm really, really excited to see what people make of this story and, and looking forward to the feedback I get on it. And I hope that it gives gives people some fun, a bit of entertainment and, you know, some memorable characters that, you know, maybe in a few years' time they'll think very, very fondly of me. Oh, do you remember that? You know, back in the old days of Elite Dangerous. You know, it, that's my fondest hope that people have a great time and um, memory. But it, it, it really is a massive, massive thank you from me to the the Elite community at large, and obviously you guys at Labour Radio for for you know putting all your time and effort in throughout um, with with the radio show, and the podcast, and 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 the LaveCon. So yeah, well done to you guys as well. Brilliant stuff. Always a pleasure, and we can't wait for elite reclamation to hit the shelves but that's it for the first of the writers interview and as a special treat for you all out there listeners uh, drew has actually agreed to read us a teaser from the upcoming book elite reclamation so sit back and enjoy the lethal barrage continued indiscriminately targeting the slaves as they tried to flee Ripped banners, shredded flags, and bloodied bodies littered the edge of the piazza, yet still the onslaught continued. One wretched family cowered in front of blazing guns as they tracked around. They were caught in the firing line and slain as they huddled in terror. The parents first, and then their child, thrown through the air to join the wretched mass of bodies which— Stop! That's enough! The vehicles froze motionless. The people stopped moving, some of them in the act of falling to the ground. Bullets hovered mysteriously in mid-air, and the sound was abruptly silenced. Doofus was a good man. I knew him from childhood. 
He deserved better than to die in this manner for a mere slave revolt. A wispy, silver-haired gentleman stepped carelessly through the holofac recording, making it blur and flicker, unaffected by the frozen carnage around him. He was thin, almost to the point of emaciation, his pale flesh and skin seeming to barely hide the skeleton within. His cream and gold braided toga swept past the crushed and bloodied bodies unstained. A pair of optical enhancers perched precariously on his nose, looking remarkably like a pair of spectacles from ancient days. Patron's there. I think you can see from this footage that the slave revolt is incidental. There is blame it lies elsewhere. The slaves have no access to explosives of that magnitude. It was clearly technology from off-world. The Federation is behind this, supporting these reckless rebels. The second voice was owned by an exceedingly large gentleman, also wrapped in copious quantities of fine linen. Despite this, his girth was barely constrained. The contrast between the two couldn't have been more striking. He reclined in an ornately wrought chaise long, lazily consuming fruit from a nearby bowl, belching on occasion in appreciation, and then wiping his lips with the back of his hand. An immaculately trimmed goatee beard completed the visage, adequately concealing a series of flabby chins. Garin was no beauty, but a fierce intellect resided within the vastness of unappealing flesh. And what do these confounded reclamists want, patron Garin? They've made no formal demands, Garin replied. Remnants of the original colonists, we suspect. Those that didn't have the decency to perish three years ago when we reclaimed this moon. They leave their usual calling card. Anonymous text transfer moments before. Reclaiming what is ours. As I nodded as he quoted from memory. I've seen it. Needlessly melodramatic. One assumes they regard this moon as theirs. Garen added, it's difficult to convince those who lack an appreciation of the law. Perhaps they're unhappy with how the law was applied. A third voice spoke from the back of the room. Zaire turned with a glare, but Garen raised a hand in greeting, before adjusting his position and resuming his consumption of fruit. Ah, patron Dolk! They could have been evacuated rather than murdered, Dolk finished. He was a tall man, bald and tanned with an erect, almost a military bearing. He held his head high with what most considered a haughty and arrogant look. His dress was in sharp contrast to the other patrons, a thick and heavy dark grey trench coat that gave the suggestion it concealed more than it revealed. The skin of his face was leathery, clearly a man who'd lived much of his life outdoors. His hands remained gloved despite the warmth inside the presentation room. Patron Dulk, Zaire acknowledged with a faint measure of distaste. His eyes narrowed. You don't claim these reclamists have a genuine grievance, surely? Not in the slightest, Dulk replied smoothly. Yet, we should not underestimate them. We know they're backed by the Federation, and it would seem their leader has a measure of tactical ability. Yes, the mysterious Vargo and his wizard Solidak. Garen mused. Both seem persons of some means. Our spies reveal nothing of value about them other than the names, and those that get close are executed rather efficiently. The reclamists are well organized as a result, Doc added. 
They appear to be well versed in our capabilities. Spies, undoubtedly. You seem impressed by them, Thayer said. Dog shrugged. I merely reiterate, we could have avoided this problem by a less confrontational approach, a pattern that is playing out once again. And he gestured at the bloodshed portrayed before him. What do you mean? Thayer snapped. In much the same way as Senator Ulgreb sanctioned the original appropriation of this moon, he also directly instructed the military to undertake this disagreeable episode by personal command. Sympathy for the reclamist now runs high amongst the slaves. They could overrun the military right now if they knew how weak our forces were. Fortunately, at this point, they do not. Geron looked around and stroked his beard thoughtfully. Mm, I feared as much. The senator's actions grow increasingly erratic. Perhaps we should not be having this conversation, patrons, Thayer said, cutting across him. We have pledged our support. To consider any other course of action is, should matters continue as they have, we risk inviting attention of the most unwanted variety, Dog said. Our position is tenuous. A review of alternatives is only proper. Dog is right. Senator's actions are destabilizing the situation, Garen said. Slaves slaughtered by whim in the midst of a protest? Word gets off well, we risk an inspection from the Emperor's agents. If the reclamists gain the upper hand, or the slaves discover they're in a position of even greater power, well, I humbly submit this is not in our best interests. I've supported Senator Algrim for forty years, Zaya blustered. Then perhaps a change in your order. Garen remarked. This is it, is it? This is the answer, patron Dolk. Disenfranchise ourselves from the Loren family? Dolk didn't say remove our support from the Loren family, Garen observed shrewdly. Dolk inclined his head appreciatively. Indeed, I did not. Then, Zaya sputtered, you're not suggesting his daughters, surely? This is madness! None of them are fit to be a senator! The very thought of youthful exuberance being allowed access to power, it'll be mayhem and carnage within days. As opposed to the mayhem and carnage of the last few days, you mean? Garen gestured to the frozen tableau of slaughter behind them. Dolk nodded. I'll admit, Algrib is increasingly overzealous in his application of the law, Zaire spluttered. Hmm, interesting definition of overzealous, Garen commented folding up his hands and looking from one to the other as if puzzled. Always get those two mixed up. Overzealous and genocide. Uh, genocide and overzealous. They're only slaves. It's hardly grounds for considering... Speculating, Garen said. Not considering. We're merely debating a hypothetical solution to an intractable problem. There's no question of anything but unfailing support for the senator. The room isn't bugged. Dog said, I've checked. Garen laughed. <clears throat> uh, old habits die hard, my friend. And which one of the senator's glorious offspring are you considering, Playtell? Thayer raged, raising his hands and waving them in frustration. Corrine, whose greatest ever concern has been the precise arrangement of her hair and the cut of her dress? Tala, whose greatest asset is that she has so little personality that none of the nobles find her in any way objectionable. They're not even faintly credible. There is a third, as I recall, Garen prompted, 
with a mischievous grin. Zaire stopped in mid-flow. Not Kahina. Please, please, anything but Kahina. I can't abide that objectionable young woman. She does have the virtue of intelligence, Doc added. She's tactless, antagonizing, self-assured, rude, arrogant, proud, scheming. A perfect imperial daughter, one could argue cogently, Garen pointed out. I'm sure you'd agree. Uh, I imagine she could be housebroken, trained, perhaps, tempered and moulded, Doc added. Someone we could instruct and guide, influence and persuade, Garen mused. In the best interests of stability and efficiency, naturally, Doc replied. Upholding the everlasting imperial values, peace and tranquility. Did you agree? Garen completed, with a wry grin. I do not. The heir was not amused. Tell me you're not taking this seriously. Our situation is grave. Perhaps graver than we realize, Doc said. And what did the senator himself? Zaya said. What do you intend to do about him? Why, nothing at all, Dog replied. Our patronage remains as loyal as ever it has. There's no question of our unfailing support. Then what was this conversation about? Zaire demanded. Well, the reclamists, of course, Dog replied, looking over the Garen. They grow bolder every day, Garen said. They've struck in the city. Perhaps they might even strike at the senator's family. That would be truly tragic. Tragic indeed, Dog agreed. We must do everything to ensure the Loren lineage is protected. Zaire frowned as he looked from one to the other, and then his eyes widened in appreciation. Ah, yes, I see. 